Greetings and a warm welcome to You Shall Receive Power. I'm Etienne McClintock, and with me in the studio today is my co-host Colin Hone, who is the International Director and Speaker for Holy Spirit Ministries, and he also works as the Conference Prayer Director for the North New South Wales Conference of Seventh-day Adventists. Our current series of programs features the book 50 Days, Prayers and Devotionals to Prepare for the Latter Rain and Christ's Return by Pastor Dennis Smith. And as we start this program today, we just invite you to join us in prayer. Father in heaven, it's such a privilege to spend this time with you, to study your word, to be led by your Holy Spirit. And Father, in a special sense now, we pray that you would anoint the listener today with your spirit, that you'll guide and lead him into all truth and her as well. And that as we look at the fruit and gifts of the Spirit, Father, that we'll have a deeper appreciation and understanding for the gifts that you are so keen to bestow upon us through your Holy Spirit. May we receive this blessing, Father. May you open our eyes that we will be able to see the beautiful truths from your word is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. You shall receive power is based on a promise of Jesus to his disciples, which includes you and me. And it's recorded in the book of Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, where we read, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Colin, I'm looking forward to today's study. It's one that's quite often misunderstood. But as we go through the uh, the scriptures, the word of truth, we pray that the spirit of truth will give power to this message and clarity of understanding to our listeners today. So, Adrian, we're going to talk about the fruit of the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit and genuine Christian fellowship, a people of genuine Christian fellowship, how they all connect together. Mm, that sounds like a wonderful study. That's right. So genuine Christian fellowship will play an important role in preparing God's remnant people for the final Christ and Christ's second coming. And, and I believe uh, we can, sometimes we can call this fellowship God wants to have like new wineskin fellowship. Mm, like that. Christ spoke of putting new wine in new wineskins in yeah. Matthew chapter 9, verse 17. He said you can't put new wine into old wineskins. Mm. And so the kind of fellowship that will prepare us for the last days is one in which the spirit-filled Christians consistently enter what the New Testament calls kononia. It's a hard word to say, but kononia. Mm-hmm. And in the Greek, it, it, uh, it means fellowship. For instance, we find the Greek word used in Acts chapter 2, verse 42 and First Corinthians chapter 1, verse 9, we see this fellowship word and many other verses in the Bible. John even uses it to describe the fellowship we have with God and he with us in 1 John chapter 1, verse 3. This fellowship, this mm, word mm. fellowship. And so this Greek word is used to describe the fellowship in the early church. And this is where a fellowship where one's dreams, hopes, struggles and pains are shared, where we can share them with each other as Christians. And allows for truly sharing one another's burdens in Galatians 6, verse 2. It is this fellowship where we can confess the defeats, knowing that they will be loved, accepted, and prayed for. So we can come and we, and we, when we build fellowship mm. together. And we can pray for deliverance uh, for one another, and spiritual, emotional, and physical healing takes place, as it says in James chapter 10, verse 16. Yes. And it's this type of fellowship where there is a continual encouragement to continue in the faith, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23 to 25. So the early church had this kind of fellowship on a continuous basis. When we look in Acts chapter 2, verse 42 to 46, Acts chapter 2, verse 42 to 46, we can see this type of fellowship, Eddie, 
where people came together. It says they were in one accord. Do you want to read that? Acts chapter sure. 2, verse 42. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayer. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common. So here we have a church that fellowship together. You see they, they were one accord. Mm. It says they uh, studied God's word together or doctrine, which is basically God's word. Teachings, yes. Teachings. They prayed together. They ate together. Mm. And uh, they uh, fellowship together. And so, and they all had things in common. They had a bond of love and unity that strengthened each member in their walk with the Lord. And so we need to have that type of fellowship. I know at Seven Day Venice, we have a, we're strong on doctrine, but often we can be weak in the Quinonia fellowship area. Right, okay. Our doctrines are good and important to understand and believe. However, simply knowing our doctrines is not enough. Genuine Christian fellowship must become a regular part of our Christian experience mm. if we're to make it through the time of trouble and be ready for Christ's second coming. Yeah, that's actually why small groups are so important. I mean, if you go to other parts of the world in Africa and some other places, you know, when they get together for worship, they'll spend the whole day together. There will be that fellowship. There will be that eating. There will be that time in the doctrine and that time in prayer. Um, but in first world countries, quite often, you know, when people, when the sermon is over and the last hymn is sung, people head off home and they might, you know, might have a visitor. They might not. But we don't quite have that fellowship. That's why the small groups are so important, I think, in, in our first world culture. That's true. That's mm. so true. So German Christian fellowship must be, become a regular part of our Christian experience. I'm in a small group that I meet on Wednesdays. Mm. We come together on Wednesday evenings and we eat together. We study God's word together. We fellowship together and we pray together. Amen. So there's those four elements of that uh, exactly fellowship. Exactly, four yeah. elements of that fellowship. And it's mm. just been a wonderful experience. Uh, and so, a, so we, we do that on a regular basis. So, you know, because God did not create us to stand alone. Well, that's right. We're social beings. Yes, yeah, right. We created we social another. by our creator. Canonia, fellowship, which is fellowship, is necessary for the growing little fullness of Christ. Mm. And so I want to read Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 to 16. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 to 16. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plottings, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things unto him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. So there we have that that Canonia fellowship is necessary to grow into the fullness of Christ. Mm. So God wants us to be in this fellowship. And that can't happen in a huge, large crowd. That happens uh, the best in a small, small group. group. And it's interesting also that this, you know, this fellowship you're talking about and coming to the unity of the faith talks about, you know, our knowledge increasing about the Son of God. 
that we can grow up to the uh, to a perfect man to the measure and the stature of the fullness of Christ so that desire to be like him and having the Holy Spirit work in us which is Christ in us a hope of glory and then the other verses that beautiful promise there that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about by every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men so God will strengthen us God will plant us solidly in his word so that those false doctrines, those heresies, which are actually one of the f- works of the flesh, mm. would not be able to actually arrest and take people away from the foundation, which is Jesus Christ. That's right. So, you know, the Bible says in 1 John 3, 2, that those ready to meet Jesus will be just like him. Mm. And so this new wineskin fellowship is necessary for that to happen. And so how does this new wineskin canonia Christian fellowship happen? And why is it so necessary in order to become like Jesus and be ready for Christ's second coming? First of all, Edian, this kind of fellowship to happen, the participants must be spirit-filled. Yes. That's step one. Mm-hmm. The daily infilling of the Holy Spirit enables the fruit and the gifts of the Spirit to be manifest in fellowship. Both the fruit and gifts of the Spirit are necessary for the new wineskip fellowship to take place. What is the fruit of the Spirit? It's love. Love is the first fruit listed in Galatians 5, verse 22 to 23. Let's have a look at that. When it says the fruit of the Spirit is love, and then it goes on and gives uh, other fruits that come from that. Galatians five twenty-two to 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And so above also, it says love is to be at the heart of, of a canonia fellowship. Mm, agape love. It creates an environment for like spiritual, emotional, and physical healings that we need when we're mm, together mm, like that. Mm. And the goal of a genuine new mind skip canonia Christian fellowship is actually fellowship with Jesus. And there are two ways we can fellowship with Jesus. First, Jesus comes to us through the Holy Spirit. Remember in John 14, verse 15, 18, Jesus lives in the believer yes. through the Holy Spirit. And as we daily receive the baptism or infilling of the Holy Spirit, we are receiving Jesus into fellowship with us. Mm. Secondly, we fellowship with Jesus when we fellowship with one another. Matthew chapter 18, verse 20. Matthew chapter 18, verse 20, where we can fellowship with one another. Matthew 18, 20. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. You see, when we're together... Or two or three, sounds like a small group. Does sound like a small group. So Jesus comes to us through our brothers and sisters in Christ when we're together. Mm. We're two or three. I am there with you. Yes. So this is why, you know, when Jesus spoke to Saul on the road to Damascus, he asked, he asked him, "Why do you persecute me?" Jesus is one with his people. When, and so was Jesus being persecuted? Jesus, yeah. Well, he says he was, doesn't he? When he talks, yeah. But who was actually being persecuted? It was the Christians. Christians, yeah. But Jesus says, you're persecuting me. Yeah, because he's so closely identified with Jesus was with his people. Yes. So when God's people fellowship with one another, they are fellowshipping with Jesus also. Mm. This fellowship with Jesus plays a major role in us becoming like Jesus, which is the goal of the gospel is for us to become like Jesus. Mm. When we are not changed so that we can have fellowship with Jesus, no, we are changed by our fellowship with Jesus. Okay. By our fellowship with well, that's, Jesus. Can you repeat that again? Oh, because so, I think that's a very important statement. So we're not changed so that we can have fellowship with Jesus. Okay. No, we are changed by our fellowship 
with Jesus. Right. So we don't try and make ourselves good so we can have fellowship. No. We come to the Lord just as we are, yeah. and he changes us through the fellowship. Oh, that's beautiful, Colin. Yeah, yeah love love that. And, and Jesus is with us when we're in together. Mm. We're in together. We weren't created to be alone. We're created to be we're, we're relational beings. Yes, amen. And so Paul uses the body as an analogy of this. The human body described the relationship of the members of the church. So let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, where we first describe the church as a living body of Christ. A living body of Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. It's not a dead organization. Mm-hmm. Okay. For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether mm. Jew or Greek, whether slave or free, and have all been made to drink into one spirit. So it says here that Christ is the head of the body, and each believer is a member of that body, just like our hand or eye or heart are members of a physical body. Mm. They all have a part to play, don't they? So according to Paul, each member of the body has been given gifts of the Spirit of God. And these gifts are given for the benefit of all who are in fellowship. Yes. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 7. Let's read that. Okay, so it says there, but the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. Here we have that manifestation word again as we studied in the previous lesson. Yeah. It says, for one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge through the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the same Spirit, to another the workings of miracle, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another different kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. So what are the gifts are given for the benefit of all who are in fellowship? First mm. Corinthians mm. chapter 12, verse 7. So Paul clearly points out that we need one another and we'll have genuine concern for one another when this new wineskin Cononia fellowship takes place in First Corinthians chapter 12, verse 21. So, so in this new wineskin fellowship, each member will be used by God to minister to other members by the gifts of the Holy Spirit, to minister one another, each other, to edify or build up the church. Mm. Amen. And this takes place, well, this will be taking place in an environment where the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5, 22 and 23, are present. So it'll take an environment where the fruit of the Spirit is present, won't it? Yes, it will. Where there is love and joy and peace and patience. And this requires a close, intimate relation with one another, just as my hand must be in a close connection to my body in order for my body to benefit from my hand. It's got to be close to each other, isn't it? Of course. So also God's last day remnant people will come into close, intimate connection with one another and will be enable the gifts of the Spirit to be functioning for the uplifting, strengthening, and directing of those in fellowship, mm-hmm. in, like as we just talked about in Ephesians chapter 4. And so this kind of fellowship enables the members to grow up into the fullness of Christ. Mm-hmm. That is the purpose of the, of the uh, fellowship. You know, God's church is his family. We're like a family. Yes, that's right. And, uh, you know, Paul describes that in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19. He describes God's church as a family. You know, and families are usually a group of small people. I mean, some people have large families, but the largest family I've ever seen is about 12. Wow. 
that's today, you know. I mean, okay. back in the day, it used to be common. Mm. But today, you don't hardly see people have got 12 children. I know one family got 12 children. Wow. That's about as big as a small group gets, mm-hmm. about 12. Yeah. I mean, Jesus was in a small group, a fellowship group himself. That's right. Of 12 mm. himself. So let's read that, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19. Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. See? We're to be members or members of the household of God mm, or a yeah. family, it means there. So the fruit of love towards one another is manifested continuously in God's family. We're to love one another in the mm, family. Mm. You know? And uh, in First Thessalonians 2 8 says, We're to get along with each other with the fruit of the Spirit. Just like a loving home is the best environment for a child to grow and mature, isn't it? You know, a home is the best environment Absolutely. for a child yes. to grow up and mature. So also the environment of a loving Christian fellowship is the best environment for believers to grow and become more like Christ. Mm. As we fellowship with others, we become more like Christ because Christ is there with us. That's right. You know, the home is the nucleus. It's the, it's the fabric of society. When the, the family breaks down, then kids' lives are affected and impacted. And that's really what uh, has an impact on society more than anything else. When kids can, are raised in a loving home where there's a father and a mother looking after them, that's the ideal, and that's God's ideal. Now, we know that some people just can't have those circumstances, unfortunately. Yeah. But we just pray that God will give you his Holy Spirit and give you his wisdom, that you'll have your love in his life, and you can do the best for your kids. Or if you're a child, that you can do the best for your family, for your mom, your dad, your sisters, brothers. And, and when the family breaks down, that can affect the children. I mean, myself, I, I was brought up in a family where my parents were divorced when mm. I was five. Yes. And there was a family breakdown, and that affected the family mm. completely. Yes. Uh, and, and it led to problems in our lives as children and even led to drug abuse and certain abuses. Mm. People are just trying to, you know, the pain in their lives from a broken family. Sure. And that can happen in a church as well. I've seen churches where, where, where their love is gone. The love of the unity, the fellowship has gone. And so there can be a breakdown even in the church family. Mm. Yeah, and we see that even in the first church mentioned in the book of Revelation, in chapter 2 there in verse, I think it's verse 1 and 2, it says to the church of Ephesus that they've lost their first, they left their first love. So, you know, if there was love in the family, that can sometimes take away. That's why it has to be renewed daily through the Holy Spirit. That's right. Mm. And so, so Christian fellowship is the best environment for believers to grow and become more like Christ. And so, but you can't have this kind of experience by simply going to church each week. You know, you go to church, whether it's you're going to church on Saturday or Sunday, mm. and, and just go, and this, you know, happy Sunday, happy, happy Sabbath. <laughs> yeah. And you shake hands, listen to a sermon, three songs, mm. and you go home. Yeah. That's not fellowshipping in the, in the biblical sense. What kind of family environment would take place, for example, let, let's just imagine this. What kind of family environment would take place if the members of the family met only once a week yeah. in a set of rows and listened to a lecture? That's not fellowship. You did right. <laughs> not much yeah. interaction would take place, would yeah, it? Yeah. The family members would not benefit from one another. The same applies to God's family, the church. The home environment is necessary for the best fellowship to take place. In fact, I believe as we approach the time of trouble or the final crisis, mm. okay, that fellowship in churches will become more difficult and home fellowship will become the normal. Right. That yes. will become the normal. Mm. This will actually prove to be a blessing. In actual fact, it'll be a blessing for people because it'll better facilitate the functioning of the spirits of the gift. Sorry, the gifts of the spirit, which is necessary to prepare God's people for Christ's coming. Mm. You'll be in small groups. Yes, that is where the gifts can be used best. 
You not mm. can't use the gifts if only like one person's preaching, three people are singing at church, one playing the piano, a couple are taking up the offering, and ninety percent of people are sitting in the pews. That's not where the gifts of the spirit function the best. It functions in a small group. And so I'm not saying the traditional church services are not important. I'm not having a go at that. Uh, yeah, of course. Yeah. I'm just saying that God uses our gatherings at church to minister to us. Mm. The point I'm making is that we need more than just once a week church service. That's right. We must also experience new wineskin koinonia fellowship or small group. Mm. Yes, so a functioning healthy church will have these elements that we read there in uh, chapter 2 of Acts where there will be the fellowship, they will come together to eat, to pray, and to spend time in the doctrine of Christ. That's right. The early church was mm. small groups. Mm. I mean, They went from house to house, so you can't fit a big group in a, in a, in a house typically, so and, and, a lot of small groups. And even in the archaeological diggings, they're finding that even in the early first century, most of the churches, the majority, were small churches of about 20, 15 or 20. So right. Yeah. Most of them met in their homes, or mm. even the churches they built only, um, only were able to get to 15 to 20 people. Mm. So it's small groups, and they just multiplied. Right. And, you know, fill up a home, go to another home. Fill up mm-hmm. a little church, go into another church. And so they multiplied. Uh, and so so in these small groups, we need to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. You can see why the baptism of the Holy Spirit is necessary for this kind of fellowship to take place. Yes. So the daily influence in the Spirit allows God to manifest the fruit and the gifts of the Spirit in the lives of his children. And when they were in fellowship with one another, the fruits and the gifts of the Spirit will be used by God to minister to them. This kind of fellowship will play a major role in them becoming the free of all Satan's oppression spiritually, emotionally, and physically mm. by being together. And so what happened, though, is in the early church, this is the way we used to fellowship, small groups. Yes. And Jesus was in a small group. Yes. The disciples, that's what they experienced. So they took that in the early church. Mm. It was just small groups. And so they met in their homes and so when you're in your homes, they ate together, prayed together, fellowship together, and studied God's word together. And yes. people were invited along. Mm. And they blended into these small groups, and that's how they grew. So what happened, though, is the church went into the Dark Ages. And so by the 4th century, Constantine, under the rulership of Constantine, uh, this way of church, uh, the way the Christians did church, changed. Right. So what happened is, for example, here's some of the things that actually happened. The Lord's Supper changed from a common meal to a ceremony. Okay. Worship changed from participation to observation. Mm. They started building big buildings and cathedrals and things like that for this new type of worship. Mission changed from being missionary to supporting missionaries. Confession changed from public before a small group to private in a confessional. So before that, you would have a small group and you confess your sins. Yeah. James says, confess your faults and sins to each other. Yeah. That's what happened. Fellowship, for example, changed from in-depth relationships and community living to more surface relationships in large gatherings. You don't make great friends when there's a church of 200, 300, 400 yeah. as well, do you? As you, you go do, to a church that's got 1,000 or more members, very hard to get to know difficult. all those members. Yeah. yeah, all you get is a happy Sabbath. On Sabbath, that's well, a that's shake right. of a hand. and You've got to spread yourself very thin if you want to know all of those people. You never right. have a good relationship with anyone. So, so this yeah, in-depth relation, community, small group change. And so buildings also change from functional, they're functional buildings, mm. to sacred meeting places. Right. Okay? Interesting. And so this is what happened through the Dark Ages. And the historian Beckham, he wrote this. He said, the transition from groups to buildings completed in the 4th century changed the face of the church for the next 17 centuries. 
All of the above changes have continued to impact negatively upon the church as we know it. Could the way we are doing church today have more to do with what happened in the 4th century at the end of hand of Constantine than with what happened in the 1st century at the hand of Jesus? Many searching Christians are beginning to suspect that. And what you're seeing now is you're seeing that God is bringing back small groups mm. and this type of fellowship back to his church. Yes. Because well, he's preparing so, us. So what you're saying is quite radical because typically a lot of people would think, if they think of church, they think as a building, there's a few hundred people that come together, mm. they worship together, they do their three hymns, they have a sermon, they maybe do a little bit of a Bible study and then go home. But what you're saying is that worship is not supposed to be like that. There's got to be fellowship involved in our worship with God yeah, on a daily wrong. basis and, of course, also on the and Sabbath. There's nothing wrong you know? coming public together to worship God. No. Yeah, we're know, not knocking that, but it's more than that. If it's not more than that, then power in the, in the church will be waning. Well, yeah, and there's power in Sabbath schools, for example, or you yeah. might have Sunday schools, Sabbath yeah. schools, where small groups mm. where you fellowship and study God's Word Come and together. pray together. Yes. You have a more intimate relationship in the those Sabbath school or you might go to a Sunday school where you have those intimate relationships. Mm -hmm. And I believe that before Jesus returns, God will bring his remnant people back to a genuine new wineskin, Kononia Christian Fellowship, back to small groups, because he knows this is necessary for them to make it through the time of trouble and be ready for Christ's second coming. Mm. You know, when Jesus comes, it says, I read this uh, in the spirit of prophecy by Ellen White, that people will be in small companies and a rainbow will surround them. They'll be in small yes, companies. that's right. Yeah. That's right. You know, in the early Advent ch uh, Church Fellowship, our pioneers of our denomination, the Seventh-day Adventist Church, understood the importance of this kind of fellowship. They called their gatherings social meetings. Mm. They said what's called social meetings. And one Adventist by the name of Chapman wrote the following in the Review and Herald in 1884, expressing the need for koinonia fellowship. This is what he wrote. Mm. He goes, Dear Brother White, could you but realize the utter loneliness of some of the scattered brethren situated far away from those of like faith, no one whom they can converse upon, their all-observing subject of their afflictions, no one whom they can confidently unite their voice in prayer, no enjoyment of social meetings of those who hearts unite and burn with them as they meet and sing and pray and tell of their joys, their hopes, their trials, talk of our great high priest Jesus in heaven, of the new heavens and the new earth and the sweet peace afforded them in obeying all the commandments of God. You know, people will, will spread out and are lonely, just like two missionaries. Mm. Well, the early church, Adventist church, had social gatherings every week. Yes. They came together in small groups and had social groups. And their socials are quite different to our socials nowadays. They were actually spiritual in nature. They were very spiritual. Yeah. So, you know, home fellowship groups of spirit-filled Christians are a necessity, I believe, mm. in preparing God's people uh, for the last days. And if we think we are doing church the way God wants us by coming to church on Sabbath and sitting quietly in the sanctuary and listening to a sermon, then we have incorrect view of church. Yes. Such activities are not wrong. Mm -hmm. However, we must not limit our church involvement to the traditional worship service. Such services are as good as far as they go, but they cannot provide us with the kononia fellowship we need and must have to be ready for the final crisis and Christ's soon return. Mm. So I don't know if you've been, I've been in small groups and fortunate I've been in small groups uh, my whole 24 years as a Christian. When wow, I first okay. joined the, uh, uh, the Seventh-day Adventist Church, uh, I was invited into a small group. This small group has been running 46 years. It's in Melbourne. Is that right? They've been run, different people have come and go, but they've been running a small group for 
46 years. Mm. Little do they know that one person that came into their small group 24 years ago goes around preaching and teaching around the world and and, uh, launching small groups in conferences and unions saying we need to launch small groups, not only for this new, for Canonian, but to work together to win souls together as well. It's the best way to work together in a team working to save souls. Yeah, and you get to know your fellow believers as well, you know, and it builds that friendship and their relationship and also that love. I remember a story in uh, when I was in Ethiopia that I heard a story about this American Mennonite Ethiopian church. This church uh, had about uh, 5,000 members back in the 1970s, and what happened is um, communism came into Ethiopia. Mm. And so all the pastors and evangelisms, well, the evangelists were sent back to America the pastors were all put in jail. And even right. while I was there in Ethiopia, I met many, many Adventist pastors who had been put in jail, some of the older ones, yeah. during this time. And so Christians were now not allowed to worship in churches anymore. Mm. Okay, So they were, were not allowed to worship in churches. They were shut down, and they had to go underground. Right. And so for 10 years, there was no pastors. There were no evangelists for 10 years. And so, But then a new government came in later on. And so all the evangelists came back. The pastors got let out of jail. They got together and they said, hey, listen, we better find out what happened to our church members. Yes. You know, what happened to our flock? And so they did a head count to find out what had happened. Now, the church had grown from 5,000 to 50,000 in 10 years with no evangelists and no oh, pastors. Wow. It's incredible. Because the members came together and met in their homes and they had quinonia, hmm. quinonia, the gift of the Spirit function best in the small groups, and so they were all involved in the in the mission of the church. Yes, it wasn't out there just going to a worship service each week and being sitting back in the pews. They were all involved in the mission, so they invite their friends to come mm-hmm. in their homes, eat together, pray together, study God's word, and they grew from five thousand to fifty thousand. Even the largest church, in, one of the largest churches in the world, in Korea. It's an interesting story I heard once. Okay, uh, there's eight hundred thousand members in Korea. That it's is incredible. One church. And some Adventist pastors went up and asked them, how did you do this? How did you grow to 800,000 members? Mm. And uh, he came back with a book called the book called Evangelism by Ellen G. White. And he said, small groups. Yes. Basically, the DNA of that church was a small group. So mm. they started with one group. Once that filled up, they multiplied into two groups, two groups into four groups, eight, 16, 32, 64 do the mass, 128, 256, yeah. and they just kept on growing in small groups. So everybody is in a small group. It's the DNA of the church. So that's how he mm. grew, by Incredible. small groups. So we want to look at the fruit of the Spirit of love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Do any of us have those fruit naturally? I yeah. sure didn't. No, we don't have yeah. that naturally. You see, when Jesus lives in us, Jesus has the fruit of the Spirit. So when Jesus lives in and through us, those fruit will be manifest and seen in our lives. Yes. Galatians 5.22. Also in Ephesians chapter 5 verse 9, in Ephesians chapter 5 verse 9, it says the fruit of the Spirit is righteousness and goodness. So to have the righteousness of Christ imparted in us, we need the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's connected to righteousness by faith. Yes, indeed. Because we receive his righteousness imparted righteousness mm. through Christ living in and through us. Yes. So there's righteousness by faith. And how do we receive it? By faith. By faith, yes. By faith. So, you know, the qualities described in the list of the fruit of the Spirit are impossible to achieve 
separate from the infilling of the Holy Spirit. Mm. They're not something you can just manufacture and say, well, I'm going to be more patient, long-suffering. Mm. We have sinful natures. Yeah, it wouldn't be legal currency, would it? It no. would be what you call counterfeit if you had to try and manufacture it. That's right. We'll they're fa- gifts. They are. That's right. And yeah. we'll fail time and time again mm. if we try and bring these fruits into our lives by self-will and determination. It's only through God's Spirit that they'll be manifest in the believer as he cooperates with the Spirit's inner prompting. And it's only as Jesus lives in us that we will manifest those fruits. So they're really his fruits. That's right, yes. Not our fruits. Mm. You know, there's several chapters that describe spiritual gifts also. And the most prominent scripture concerning spiritual gifts are found in Paul's letters. The first one is Romans chapter 12, verse 3 to 8. Romans chapter 12, verse 3 to 8. Let's have a look at the gifts of the Holy Spirit that function best in a small group. For I say through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function, so we, being many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that was given us, let us use them. If prophesy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Or ministry, let us use it in our ministry. He who teaches in teaching, he who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. That's fantastic. So God gives these gifts to the church, and they're different gifts, aren't they? Everyone yeah. has a different gift. That's right. Some yeah. people might get more than one. You mm. know, I mean, you look mm. at the talents, for example, in the parable Matthew twenty-five, where where Jesus says, you know, one had one talent, one had five, and one had ten. That's Sometimes right. Sometimes yes. God gives diff- more gifts to different people, mm. but we're to use those gifts to build up the church. You know, and He mentions prophecy, ministry, teaching, exhortation, giving, ruling, and mercy. And we look in. Uh, let's look in First Corinthians chapter twelve as well. He uses. The word wisdom there is a gift, words of knowledge, faith, gifts of healing, working of miracles, prophecy, discerning of spirits, diverse kinds of tongues, interpretation of tongues, apostles, prophets, teachers, helps, and governments, Mm. and leadership. These are all the different gifts that the Holy Spirit determines who gets the gifts. We don't determine what gifts we get. It's the Holy Spirit determines. Because if you know what, we might desire a gift, but it's for our pride. The Holy Spirit knows exactly what gifts to give us Amen. that we'll use accordingly. Mm. And if we use it faithfully, we can, we can ask to have more gifts. So the gift of the Holy Spirit has given us, and then coming with the Holy Spirit is other gifts that can be used in ministry for the edifying of the body of Christ. Yeah, but they must be used together. Yes. Because everyone has different gifts, so yeah. we need to come together mm. to use our gifts. And it's best used in a small group. You know, God will give different gifts in a small group. Some will have teaching, some prophecy, some gift of prayer. I've seen people who pray who just have a gift of interceding in prayer. Yes, I've been in the presence of those prayers. Beautiful. It's just wonderful. Mm. And so these gifts serve as a very important role in spiritual growth of the individual believers and the church. You know, and he uses the body to describe this. And it's just a wonderful thing. And so what is the purpose of the gift? It's for the profit or the common good of the church. Yes. Okay. Remember, and use the analogy of the human body uh, to do this. So we need all these gifts to work in the in the in the body of Christ. Now, here's the thing, though. You know, in the Bible, it says that 
Do you know that Satan can counterfeit the gifts of the Holy Spirit? Right. Okay. Yeah. So can he counterfeit all of them? Well, let's look. Let's look it up. Can he? Yeah. Can he? Can he? Can he counterfeit tongues? Yes, he can. He can. Can he counterfeit uh, prophecy? Can he have yes. false prophecy? Well, the Old Testament is full of false prophets. You know, they wouldn't listen to the real prophet. Yeah. And they bring in all these other false prophets. Yeah. Uh, can he uh, counterfeit uh, the apostles? Because they can be false apostles. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Yeah. What about teachers? He can have false teachers. False teachers. Yeah. All be right. warned against those. Yeah. He can have uh, counterfeit, for example, uh, the gifts of healing, for example, too. Th- that's right. It says mm. he'll be doing miracles. Mm. He can counterfeit miracles. So he can counterfeit the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And so sometimes, you know, Christians can be focused on, let's just focus on the gifts of the Spirit. Yeah. And forget about the fruit. Of course. Yes. You see, Satan can counterfeit the gifts of the Spirit, but he can't counterfeit the fruit of the Spirit. Because the fruit mm. of the Spirit is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Yes. Love, joy, peace, patience. Can't counterfeit them. So we as Christians should seek the fruit of the Holy Spirit, the daily baptism of the Holy Spirit, to have Christ's love in our hearts. Yes. Yeah. And then God will give us gifts individually to build up your church. Mm-hmm. So we know in the last days that Satan will do this. So we want to focus on the fruit of the Spirit. They still want to have important. the gifts of the Spirit. Yes. The Holy Spirit determines what they are. Mm-hmm. That was a problem with the Corinthian believers. You know, when you read uh, chapters 11, 12, 13, yeah. the problem is they were so focused on the gifts of the Spirit, and they even got drilled it down on the, they were focused on one gift. They were so focused on the gift of tongues. Yes. That Paul had to admonish them and saying, you know, you know, don't do this if you, you know, let someone prophesy first. These are greater gifts. He said, this is even a lesser gift. And he says, you know what you need? He says, you need the fruit of the Spirit. You need love. He said, without love, all the gifts mean nothing. That's right. Yeah, First Corinthians 13. Mm. You know, he says, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I become a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. Yes. I might have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all the knowledge. And though I have all faith, so what could move mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And he goes on and talks about these things. And he even tells us that the Holy Spirit gives different gifts to different people. You know, I've heard some churches say that if you haven't got the gift of tongues, you haven't received the Holy Spirit. Well, that's not biblical, is it? No, because it says in there, each person is given a different gift. Some healing, some prophecy. That's in Corinthians chapter 12. He says, now concerning spiritual gifts, verse 1. Brethren, I do you not want you to be ignorant. So yeah. straight away he's teaching us, I don't want you to be ignorant, guys. Yeah, that's right. I want you yeah. to understand. You know that you were Gentiles carried away with these dumb idols, however you were led. Therefore I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus a curse. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Then he says there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. Yes. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. So there's different ministries. Mm-hmm. There's not just one ministry and that's it. That's right. You know? Everybody has a different ministry that God has called us to be involved in. And he goes on, there are diversity of activities, but it's the same God who works in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. So the purpose is the profit of all. Yes. For one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge, the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the same Spirit, to another working of miracles, to another prophecy. You're getting the point? To another, yes. <laughs> to yes. another, discerning of spirits, to another, different kinds of tongues or languages. Mm-hmm. I mean, the first use of of tongues or translating languages was that the apostles 
were speaking the gospel and people could understand it in their own language. You just read in the book of Acts. It's very clear. They understood it. Mm. That was the first use of it. And to another interpretation of songs. So if someone does speak, there should be someone who interprets the language. If you speak a foreign language, how will the others be edified by it unless someone is there to interpret the language? And here's the key in verse 11. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. That's right. So to say that everyone must be speaking in tongues is incorrect according to the Bible there. It's not biblical. That's right. Because, I mean, if you even go further down on the chapter, then you read from, let's see, let's start verse 29. Paul asked the questions under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Mm. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, are all workers of miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? Well, the answer is no, they don't, because the Holy Spirit gives different gifts to different people, and not everybody's given the gift of, of tongues, for example. Or so the gift to of prophecy, test, or the healings, or any of the gifts. Everyone but, has different. Yeah, that's right. But to make that a test is actually unscriptural. It's not biblical. That's right. Because not everybody receives all the gifts. You just read that before, and then he says, of course, but desire the best gifts. And yet I'll show you a more excellent way. And then he goes and speaks about the fruit of the Spirit. He talks about agape love, which is the first fruit of the Spirit mentioned there in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 22. That says that even if I speak with the tongues of men and angels, but they have not love, I'm a sounding brass and a clang cymbal. And even if I was to have the gift of prophecy and understand mysteries and know all knowledge, though I have all faith, and could remove mountains, but have not agape love, which is a fr- the fruit, the first fruit of the Spirit, I am nothing. And even if I bestow goods and give them in my body to be burned, but I have not agape love, which is again the fruit of the Spirit, mm. it profits me nothing. So we here see the contrast between, as you're saying, the fruit and the, the gift. gifts. That's right. There is a difference. And he says the more excellent way is actually Love, agape love. I mean, the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit, yes. That's right, because all these other things will pass away. Mm. But that won't. That's right. That won't. I mean, even in chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians, he says, pursue love. And he says, Mm. and desire spiritual gifts. So he's saying there's nothing wrong with desiring. We're not de-emphasizing those. They're actually very important, and they're God-given gifts. But we just want to make sure that they're in perspective from a scriptural perspective. And these false tests that are not scriptural are the ones we're actually opposing. That's not right. the fact that people are to receive gifts because God has promised these gifts and we need them for the edifying of the body of Christ. And, and Paul goes on to describe in, in chapter 14, he says, uh, you, know, you know, desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesize. Yes. Like he's putting that one as the one you should really desire. For see, he who speaks in a tongue, and again, he's reverting back to the Corinthians who are just so focused on speaking in tongues. Mm-hmm. He says, but for he who speaks in tongue but does not speak to men but to God, for no one understands him, however in the Spirit he speaks in mysteries. But yeah. he who prophesies speaks edification and exhortation and comfort to men. And he who speaks in a tongue edifies himself. Yeah, the verse 4 there of First uh, Corinthians 14, that's right. So he's not edifying the church because he's speaking a language that the rest of the church can't understand. He only understands, so he's the only one that's edified by it. And then Paul says, well, don't do that. And he goes on, I wish you all spoke with tongues, but even more that you prophesize, for Mm. he who prophesies is greater than he who speaks with tongues. Unless, indeed, he interprets that the church may receive edification. So so someone must be able to translate what what the person's saying. And uh, then he goes on and says, you know, basically stop babbling in the church. (laughs) (laughs) If you keep on reading verse 14, he says, 
you know, stop babbling to the church. Mm-hmm. You know, got to, there's got to be order in the church in verse 26. Whenever you come together, each of you has a psalm or has a teaching or has a, a tongue, has a revelation, has an interpretation. Let all things be done in edification. Let everything be in order. But, you know, in verse 33, for God is not the author of confusion. Amen. But of peace, mm. as in all the churches of the saints. So, you know, I've seen things where just it's craziness. People are just, you know, flopping all over the place. It's speaking. It's, there's no order mm. whatsoever. Yes. You know, and I read Paul's writings and I, and I, and I question. I'm saying, you know, what is that? So here we have the biblical model of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit decides. And we just pursue the fruit of the Spirit. Amen. So we basically need the influence of the Holy Spirit to have the love, the fruit of love. Each believer was to become a Christ to the world. We're supposed to be mini Christ. Mm. Christ's ministry would be seen most fully as the church became fellowship of Spirit-filled believers. The fruit of the Spirit and the variety of spiritual gifts would be manifest through the various members of the body. And without the Spirit's infilling, the ministry of the body would be limited and have little or no power. It's just like the body, you know, we can have a body together. Well, if the arm's not working, it's not going to be a really good body, is it? Yeah, or the right. legs aren't working. Mm. You know, it's not going to be a f- most effective. You look, I just had a friend uh, recently that had a stroke, mm. paralyzed down his whole left side. His left arm wouldn't work. He'd try and send signals from the brain to the muscles. It just wouldn't work. Left arm, left leg. And he's now persistent and worked really hard with the physios and that to get the, the, the muscles and the, and the brain connecting again and working. But what a struggle it was for him. He couldn't, he couldn't walk. It, just, it was such a, a great struggle. And just imagine, you know, God has a place for you in his church. But unless you're spirit-filled, unless you have received the baptism of the Holy Spirit and, the, and the, the gifts of the Spirit, then how will the church function effectively if you're not part of that? God wants us all to be part of his work, and we can work side by side with our fellow believers and with God, Spirit of God working in and through us. That is what God has called us to. He wants the whole world to be warned, to prepare for the soon coming of Christ. And this is all to be done through the edifying of the the gifts that God has given. But ultimately, that is just a means to an end. Those are the tools required to present the gospel. But the greatest, actually greatest witness, I believe, for the gospel is the character of God revealed in his people. Yes. That character of love, that self-sacrificing love of, love, uh, of agape. That God wants to see in his people And when that is seen The harvest is ready And Christ will come That's right Now today we've been covering Two lessons Etienne We've been doing uh, The fruit and gifts of the spirit And we're talking about A spirit filled fellowship church Right Today And we've blended the both of them today Because they go hand in hand And as I said I believe that God's last day church Will be spirit filled And will meet in that Canonia type of fellowship hmm. in small groups and work together. You know, when you go back and look in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 2, you find the, just the best ingredient of how they did the early church, Acts chapter 2. You know, they just received a message from Peter. He just preached to them a powerful message where they realized that Jesus was the Messiah and they had crucified Jesus. Well, the Romans had crucified Jesus. But he went to the cross for their sins. Yes. All right. And they were crying out for it. And they realized that they crucified the Messiah. And it says they were cut to the heart. And they, and they asked Peter and said, what are we going to do? You know, what shall we do? Mm. And, uh, and Peter just comes to them and says, listen, 
Repent, be baptised, and you too shall read the promise of the Holy Spirit. So the first step of receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit is to repent. Yes. You know, a lot of times we talk, people talk about baptism of the Holy Spirit mm. filling her without repentance. Mm. And the first step is repentance. Yes. Because God wants to dwell in us, but he won't dwell unless we've been cleansed of sin. Mm. That was the whole point of the, of the uh, sanctuary, wasn't it? Yes, that's right. It was the, the sanctuary was cleansed of the sin for the dwelling of the, of the Holy Spirit or God to dwell in the sanctuary. And so we want to be repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And then you too shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then we look at the early church in Acts chapter 2. I love it how they grew. There's a, you know, there's a beautiful quote, uh, what happened to this church. 3,000 people were baptized, and they did these four things. They studied God's word together, fellowship together, broke bread together, and prayed together. And many wonderful signs were done through them. Mm. And they all believed and were together and had all things in common. And sometimes they sold their possessions and goods to give to those who needed. They took yes. care of each yes. other. It says in verse 46 of Acts chapter 2, And so continuing daily with one accord, they were one accord mm. in the temple. So they met at the church. They came together corporately in the temple. And they broke bread from house to house. Yes. So they met in their homes. They ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. They praised God and having favor with feigning favor with all the people. So they found favor with the people. They're out there doing health ministry. They were healing mm. people. They were feeding people. They were taking care of people. Yes. And it says they found favor with the people. And when they did all this, it says the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. So there is the there is the like I call it the ingredients of a of a spirit filled church. Ate together, prayed together, studied God's word together. They met in their homes. They praised God and they found favor with the people. They were doing good in the community mm, or their mm. villages or wherever they were. And the Lord added daily to their number. Yeah, beautiful. I, was, I, want, a, I want a church to be a, a ch- I want to be part of a church I, just like that. Eddie. I want to be part of a church like that as well because obviously the love of God, I mean, these people were spiritful people. They had the fruit of the spirit, which is that self-sacrificing love called agape. But you know, Jesus even said there in John chapter 13, verse 35, before he starts you know, talking about the Holy Spirit and the promise of the Holy Spirit, you know, if you love me, keep my commandments, and I pray the Father, he will send you another comforter, even the spirit of truth. Mm. He says there in John chapter 13, verse 35, by this all will know that you are my disciples if you have agape love for one another. So you can see that these people who hang together, you know, they fellowship together, canonia, you know, they canonia fellowship, um, there's got to be love amongst them because they are in one accord. Now, you can't have that one accord when there's selfish love still in the heart, you know. And as you had mentioned in a previous program, Colin, they, these disciples were arguing who would be the greatest mm. not many, many days before Pentecost. It might have been, what, 60 days or so? Well, three and a half years they were arguing all the time. They were with <laughs> Jesus. They were converted. They yeah. were baptized in water. Mm-hmm. You know, they were arguing with Jesus. They'd seen the crucifixion. They were restored back to ministry. Yes. And, um, and uh, finally they got it. And they spent, and, they, and what do they also do? Before they did that, they spent 10 days in prayer. They yes. were, you go right through the book of Acts, they were a praying church. Mm. That's where their power was. Amen. They were praying in church. You know what? It's exciting, Eddie, is that we look back in that early church and we say, wow, I want to be a part of that church. Yes. But I want to, do you know that we're going to see greater things than even they saw? 
Yeah, well, under the latter reign. Under the latter reign. Listen to what um, Ellen White says in Christ's Object Lessons, page 120 and 121. Mm. It's a vital lesson for all of us. She says about this early church, yes. all right, what happened in the book of Acts. She says, One interest prevailed. One object swallowed up all others. All hearts beat in harmony. The only ambition of the believers was to reveal the likeness of Christ's character wow. and to labor for the enlargement of his kingdom. Mm. The spirit of Christ animated the whole congregation for they had found the pearl of great price. So straight away, what she's saying is the only ambition of the early believers was two things. Yes. One, to reveal the Christ character and two, to labor for his enlargement of his kingdom. Mm. That was what was on their hearts. Now listen to this good news. She continues and says, these scenes are to be repeated. Well, that's a beautiful promise, isn't it? Hang on, though. And with greater power. Wow. The outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost was the former reign, but the latter reign will be more abundant. Christ is again to be revealed in his fullness by the Holy Spirit's power. Mm. So if these scenes are to be repeated, what will be the only ambition of God's last day people? Well, it would be the same ambition again as to reveal Christ's character and to lay before the enlargement of his kingdom. That's it. Yeah. So that's what our churches should be doing. We would want to reveal the likeness of of Christ's character and labor for the enlargement of his kingdom. That will be our only ambition. And when we come together as churches and we say this is going to be our ambition, but you can't manufacture that. No, you can't. We need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And when we're daily baptized with the Holy Spirit, that will be our only ambition, Mm. to reflect the character of Christ and to build up his kingdom. And God will pour out his latter rain Holy Spirit. And this is, and we'll finish the work and we can go home. Amen. Well, you know, in the early church, initially they were actually known as the people of the way. Mm. That was the name. They were of the way, which was the way of salvation, the way of Jesus. And it's not until later on that people started looking at them and said, well, we can see that these people have been with Jesus. They started calling them Christ-like. Mm. And that's where the word Christian came from, because they revealed the character of their Savior in their lives. If you take on the name Christian, basically what you're saying is, I want to be like Jesus, and I want to reveal his character to the world. But how do you do that, Edian? The book of John, chapter 15, talks about that Jesus is the vine, we are the branches, and we are to abide in him. And if we abide in him, we'll get that sap from the, from the vine. It will flow through into the branches who we are, and we'll reveal the character of God. But that happens the through fruit. the fruit. That's the fruit, that's right, but that happens through the Holy Spirit. Yeah. We are to be baptized daily with the Holy Spirit. Well, that's right. Remember the end of that uh, uh, Ellen White quote where she says, Christ is again to be revealed in his fullness by the Holy Spirit's power. Mm. That's how you can reveal Christ's character and build up his kingdom is being daily filled with his Holy Spirit. Well, that's exciting. We're looking forward to those times. Now, I've read in another place where she also talks about it'll come with 10 times the power Mm. of Pentecost. But, you know, as as we understand, it's a great conflict that lies ahead that Satan through um, through his uh, his powers will try to stop people hearing the good news of salvation, the gospel, the, the three angels' messages, the, that everlasting gospel that prepares the whole world for Jesus' soon return. In that judgment setting, he will do everything in his power to stop it. We know that God will come with even greater power to give power to this message. The whole world will be lighted with his glory, and the glory of God is the revelation of his character and his people, and then he will come. So we want to encourage her listening. You know, you can be part of this great outpouring in the latter rain. Mm. 
if you grow in the early rain. Amen. So we encourage you to 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 go to Jesus on your knees and, and pray and, and repent of your sins. Yes. To ask him to cleanse you from all unrighteousness mm. and ask for the daily baptism in the Holy Spirit of Christ in the hope of glory in readiness for the latter rain and God will start working for you and the only th- ambition of you will be to reveal the likeness of Christ's character and to build up his kingdom. Mm. Amen. Thank you for taking us through that study, Colin. And listen, dear listener, if you uh, if you would like some tools to help you with receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you know, to receive the fullness of the former rain, to be ready for the outpouring of the latter rain. There's a couple of books that we would like to make available to you. You can either go to your nearest Adventist book center, or you can even contact us here at 3ABN. The first book is the one that's part of our studies that we've been going through. It's 50 Days, Prayers and Devotionals to Prepare for the Latter Rain and Christ Return by Pastor Dennis Smith. So you can go to your nearest Adventist book center, as I said, or you can contact us here at 3ABN. You can call us on 0249733456. You can email us at radio at 3abnaustralia.org.au. And we still also have that other book available to you. It's a slightly smaller book, but it's a great little book called Steps to Personal Revival, Being Filled with the Holy Spirit by Helmut Horbel. So, dear listener, we pray that God will continue to bless you, that he will increase his desire in your life for being filled with the Holy Spirit to reflect his character to the world more and more. And as that text says there in the book of John, chapter 13 and verse 35, by this all men will know that you are my disciples because you have the agape love of Jesus Christ in your hearts and it's reflected in your dealings with one another. May God bless you. been listening to a production of 3ABN Australia Radio.